You know, they, um, Pastor asked for the title of my message and the verse reference, and I guess he passed it on to you. So, you know, I'm sitting back there worshiping with you all, and as I'm looking at the lyrics, it's like, I don't know. I, the way God pieces things together at times is, is kind of beyond us. I don't quite get that. It, it's almost to the point of outright detail, uh, maybe planning uh, in great detail, because the words of the songs are quite fitting, and uh, you'll begin to see that. So I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, I'm grateful as well. A pastor is here, so I have to be on my toes. <laughs> so I should, I, should, I should behave this morning, in which case I'll do my very best. So I want to roll back the clock just a little bit, not a whole lot, but we're going to roll it back to 1991. Now, at some point, I want to say this will very likely ring a bell with somebody here, um, because I believe they did, I don't know if I should say this now, it's all right. I believe they did make a movie out of this, that's all I'm going to say for the moment. So, we roll back the clock to 1991, and off the coast of Massachusetts, it want to say it was September, September 20th. Is that still summer, fall? Somewhere in that ballpark, correct? So September 20th comes, and three ships begin to set sail. These are fishing ships. Uh, we'll leave it at that for the moment. One of them is a little, uh, a little smaller. Uh, I will give you the name, although this may be a tip-off. Maybe not. Uh, it was called the Andrea Gale. If this rings a bell, then you know where I'm going with this. If it doesn't, we'll get there anyway. So, uh, one of the larger ones was, I want to say, the Ash Maru, and it was a Japanese fishing freighter. This thing was monstrous. It was very big. The other one is eluding me. I can't recall the name. It may come to me. Uh, so, if I randomly shout out some weird name while I'm up here, just know that that's why. <laughs> Although, it's, it's really eluding me at the moment. So anyhow, they, they set sail, and I don't believe that they knew this at this point. With, with any jobs, uh, things that we do, there, there's all kinds of risks. There's risks. Uh, when I was doing the ambulance thing, there was this whole thing called the risk versus benefit analysis. You know, was it worth what I was doing? Things like that. So with any job, there's a whole lot of risks. So I don't necessarily know if it would have kept them from setting sail. I'm not really sure. Anyhow, so the way this works is they set sail, and this is what's called a sword boat. And I had to look it up because I was a little confused. I figured it sort of sounds like some sort of a swordfish fishing boat. It's really redundant. Uh, but that's really what it was. They went out there looking for swordfish. And there was three of them, as I mentioned. Typically, the way they works is they would go out for about 30 days at a time. Afterwards, they would come back for a few days, sort of recuperate, rejuvenate, try to get some degree of sleep, and then go back out again. <clears throat> now, for anybody that's seen the deadliest catch, is that the thing with the crabs? Somebody help me out here, right? I would imagine it's probably quite similar. Now, I want to say that that was, that was Alaska. Someone help me out, right? So this was not Alaska. This was near the Great, Great Banks of Canada. So they would go out there for a month at a time and then come back immediately. And here's the deal. One of the first ships to come back with their catch, payload, if you will, when they would sell the product, the fish, if you will, as soon as they got back, the first one to get back there, they would make the most money. So the next boat to come in, well, they would get paid a little bit less, and you know how the rest of the story. It just goes down line like that. So if you're the, one of the first ones to get back and you have a whole lot of fish, then you're probably going to do well. So I'm sharing that for a reason. About 30 days in, uh, Captain Billy Tyne, I believe that's correct, they realized that something's not good. They got about 20,000 pounds of swordfish. And I don't know about you all, I've got to be honest, it sounds like a whole lot. 
<laughs> but it's not near enough, and it wasn't. So he made the orthodox decision. From what I understand, this is just something that they do. It's not some random, rare thing. They decided to stay a week later. This is where things take a turn for the worse. Apparently, about a thousand miles away, there was three different storms. And they didn't realize this when they set sail, but it became a very big concern. One of them was Grace, Tropical Storm Grace, I believe. The other two, I can't recall. So they were worried that these storms, because they were so near one another, that they were going to combine, hit head-on, and merge, and create what they liked to have called the perfect storm. Sound familiar to anybody? It does. Okay. So, if anyone's seen that movie, then you know how it goes. But before I go there, things got really bad. One of the last transmissions that, um, <coughs> excuse me, one of the last transmissions that they heard from Captain Billy, the frog in my throat, was that the winds began to pick up. Within a matter of minutes, it went from like zero to 50 plus, and then that was it. Now, the Ashmaru, the Japanese freight liner, is that the right term? Freighter, fishing ship, it was big. There was a couple Canadians on board, so they were able to speak rough English, and they understood that apparently where the, the gale was located was probably the worst of the areas at all. And bear in mind, this is the smallest ship out of the three. And it was in what we like to call the hot zone. It was not good. One of the buoys near where the gale was at actually reported back. Ladies and gentlemen, they dealt with 70 to 100 foot waves. I want to say that doesn't do it justice. A tidal wave, monstrous, cyclone, things come along. Let me put it this way. It's like a 10-story building slamming into the boat and landing on you. How do you deal with that? I don't know. I know that the gale was lost at sea, along with its total of six crew members, including Captain Billy. They, they were lost. The Ashmaru survived. The other one, I can't remember the name. Come on, Jeff. <laughs> It'll come to me. The other one survived as well. The gale, unfortunately, did not. They were lost at sea. So Sebastian Younger, Younger wrote the story about it. It became a book, and it became a movie. Why in the world am I sharing this with y'all? <laughs> and it's kind of funny because the past week or two, what have we been dealing with out here? A whole lot of rain, right? <laughs> it's... it's uh, I got wet this week. I know my wife got wet this week. I'm sure we all did to a good degree. So let's, let's do this again. I feel like I got a time machine up here. We're going to roll back the clock even more to the time of Jesus. And our verses this morning, as if a lot of you guys have seen me up here, I tend to dissect things, break it down, try to figure out what we're looking at. Um, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's, it's really enjoyable. In this case, it was very enjoyable, and I'm excited to share this with you. It's absolutely amazing. Our verses come from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. So if you would all please stand for the reading of the word. <clears throat> And the same day, and the same day, when the even was come, the evening, he said to them, Let us pass over onto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. For anyone who has heard that story, do you remember reading that verse? There were other ships out there, wasn't there? And there arose a great storm of wind, and the winds beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on the pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind was ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto him, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? 
And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Uh, Remain standing. We're just going to pray really quick. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for your word, that as we delve into it, uh, in this case, it, we go very deep, and we are grateful for the revelations that we find inside that allow us to understand how to live our lives better, to be more obedient to you. Father, this morning, as I always do, I pray that you would restrain the adversary, that you would keep him at bay, and that as your word is sent forth, it will accomplish in all of us what it was meant to do. Thank you for this time together. Please bless our time in Jesus' name. You may be seated. So, that night in the midst of the storm, the disciples found themselves in the fight for their lives. They didn't know it, but they ran into that anyway. <clears throat> Here they experienced the Lord's power to deliver them, and they lived to tell the story. So as they crossed the Sea of Galilee this morning, I'm urging every single one of you, why don't we step into the boat with them? Let's step into the boat to cross the Sea of Galilee with the Lord Jesus Christ and the disciples that were on board. So whatever it is they experienced you and I are going to experience together. There is a sense, I need to say this, I think it's fitting, there is a sense in which you and I are figuratively, I think that's correct, figuratively on this journey. That is, we're setting sail to some unseen port in our entire life called heaven. And at some point, we'll reach the shore. But here's the deal. <laughs> I want you to know that the storms that you and I are going to encounter, they weren't sent to destroy us. They were sent to and allowed to develop us. So let's join the Lord and his men in the ship. So basically, we're, we were looking at, um, I'm looking at the time. Tell me not to do that. <laughs> so we're, <laughs> stay on track, Jeff. Stay focused. So, um, if, if we look at this chapter, we begin to understand that the disciples got in the boat that Jesus was already in, because if we remember, he was standing there and preaching on it. There was that many people. So I'm not sure if this was a little rowboat. It doesn't sound like it. Now, it doesn't sound like it was a gigantic thing, but it was fairly big. They took the boat that he was already in. They climbed in the boat. And as per the Lord Jesus Christ's instruction, they were going to go over to the other side. At some point, a storm hit. They got frantic. They were terrified what they were going through. They literally feared for their lives. And think about this for a moment. They're in the boat with Jesus, and they were afraid for their lives. And these are seasoned fishermen. How bad was this storm? Must have been pretty bad. So, and at some point, they finally wake him. Peace be still. Everything is done and over with. We could look at that right now and say, you know, God has the ability to calm literal storms outside and storms in our life. He has the ability, if we trust him, he's going to do that. We could pray, have some sort of benediction, sing, and then we're done. That's it. But if we do that, I'm afraid we're missing a tremendous amount. As I got into this and I started breaking things down uh, to the Greek and then a couple things back in the Hebrew that reflect to this, there's some really, really cool stuff in here. So, we're not just going to fast forward through this. Uh, I'm excited to share with you. I'm excited that we're about to realize that, you know, God has a tremendous amount for us this morning. So let's look at the Sea of Galilee. Storms like this are apparently very common there, and there's multiple reasons for this. This is extremely unique. It is this unusual body of water that is approximately 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. Doesn't sound like a big deal until we go a little further. It is 150 feet deep, roughly. Now, here's the kicker. The shoreline, I, I had to make sure this was accurate when I was reading it. The shoreline is 680 feet below sea level. 
the Statue of Liberty is like 700-something feet, right? Somewhere around that. So the Sea of Galilee is way down there, and it's in the basin of these mountains. So winds sweeping across the land come up and over the mountains. Combined with a thunderstorm that appears randomly and suddenly over the surrounding mountains causes the wind to race down and stir up the waters of the Sea of Galilee into this violent cauldron. I don't know of any other word, but, but that fits. The waves become exceedingly and extremely dangerous and violent. Do they reach levels of 70 to 100 feet? I'm not really sure. I don't think so. But when we look at the story and we realize that these seasoned fishermen were terrified, we can imagine that it was no picnic. The sea can be calm one minute and violent the next. These storms usually don't happen at night. I don't know why this is, but apparently it's fairly rare that they do happen at night. And what that tells us is this, that when they went out with the Lord Jesus Christ in a ship, there really wasn't a storm. They didn't expect one, but they got one anyway. That's the way life is, too. And sitting here, or standing back there, and listening to the prayers and everything that you all are going through, that we're going through all together, life can be very chaotic. There are storms in our life that they're fairly relentless. Things are fine one moment. The next, what happens? Guys, the, the bottom falls out, doesn't it? Don't we occasionally experience moments of bliss and normalcy? And then all of a sudden, the bottom drops out, and we're left standing there. I don't really understand what happened. I don't know how to fix this. What is going on? One minute, you can be enjoying fair weather of a delightful cruise, and the next, you find yourself in the middle of a horrific storm. One phone call, one 24-hour period of time, one doctor visit, one tick of the clock, and there you are in the midst of the storm of your life. Now, this really shouldn't surprise us. The Bible says that storms will come our way, and I think I have a slide for this. Uh, Job 14.1, Ecclesiastes 2.23, John 16.33. Man that is born of woman a few days and full of trouble, Job, for all his days and... Hang on. There we go. For all his days are sorrows and travail, grief, yet his heart taketh not rest in the night. This also is vanity. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In fact, and I don't believe this is a stretch, I think this is very accurate. You and I are only, and I have to stress that, <laughs> you and I are only in one of three places today. You're either currently in some sort, some sort of a storm, the bottom has dropped out, and I think of John as we've been praying for him, and there are many others. Or you're coming out of a storm, or you have some level of normalcy, and you're enjoying this delightful cruise, unbeknownst to you that you're approaching another storm. That is the series that follows in our life, and this is continuous. That's it. There's no other option. Sudden storms are a large and unpredictable part of our lives. So, there are three aspects with regards to the power of this storm, one of which is this suddenness. These things come out of nowhere, don't they? So, and so do the storms in our life. They really just show up, and we don't know what happened. We're left standing there. The next following aspect that naturally sort of follows, for lack of a better word, is the severity. I want to talk about the severity of these storms. And it says here, if you look in verse 37, and the waves beat into the ship, and the ship was now full. Now, I think of what the gale went through um, with the surviving ships and, and the waves crashing down 70 to 100 feet. Well, what happens to the wave that doesn't hit the ship? It continues to move forward, landing in the ship, and it fills it up. Now, these waves were of smaller proportion and size on the Sea of Galilee, but they were nonetheless menacing in the fact that it was beating on their ship. The excess water was landing in the boat, and it doesn't say it was filling up. It said the ship was now full. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm out there in some sort of a boat, 
and this is happening, I'm going to start thinking, you know, I, there's a good possibility we're going to sink here. So, the ship is rocking and reeling, and because of the monstrous waves, the ship became full of water. Fear of sinking had now become a reality, a violent storm combined with the dark of night, because remember, they crossed in the evening. And it's very rare for these storms on the Sea of Galilee, but it did. Where did it come from? We'll get into that. Combined with a violent storm in the dark of night meant they couldn't see a whole lot. You, know, you and I have flashlights. We get used to these lights on our phones, keychains, things like that. There's always light pulse. That ain't happening, folks. <laughs> they're in this boat. They can't see anything. They don't know if they're close to the shore. They don't know if they're near. Remember I mentioned it earlier. These other little ships that were following. They could be hitting anything. Could you imagine the complete darkness while going through this with the sounds of the waves crashing and beating against your vessel? And you can't see hardly anything. You don't know what's going on or how this is going to end. Is it no matter that they ran fearfully for their lives to wake up Jesus Christ? I would have done the same thing. They were in terrible danger and feared for their lives. And that is an absolute understatement. <clears throat> when the storms... Excuse me. <clears throat> when, <clears throat> when the storms of life come, they're often severe and cause us great anguish and pain. Storms of, of suffering blow into our lives and devastate us with heartache, heartbreak, and turmoil. One problem will arise after another, and they will bury us under a cyclone of affliction. Many of us could testify today. Now look around and I look at your faces. When you do, look back at mine, because we could all testify with regards to suffering. How many times have we been through that? How many times did we end up coming out of that and it, it changes our life? In fact, if we looked at our life with beginning and end, this timeline, somewhere in the middle, wherever this storm hit, becomes anonymous in the fact that it creates this line of separation or declination. And your life point forward becomes everything that happened over here before this incident and everything that happened after that incident. It effectively alters us, changes us, hurts us. It causes us deep loss and suffering and pain. Others face storms of sorrow. Someone you love is called away, and it leaves you grief-stricken, grief-stricken, shaken by loss, forever changing your world. Sorrow touches every single life. Jesus was in the boat, and yet they were afflicted by the storm. They were in the boat with Still others are engulfed by a storm of sin. When sin enters our hearts, it always comes in... in <laughs> it's just amazing to me that we continually fall for this stuff. And yet Paul did. Romans 7, we're going to do the same thing. Sin approaches us, and it comes in the manner that it's this cool, calm breeze. You're out there on your vessel, a delightful cruise, normalcy hits. This wonderful breeze comes your way. It looks appealing. It looks great. It looks fantastic. You want to feel it. You want to experience it. When sin enters our hearts, it always comes as that cool breeze. It promises the absolute best, but it soon displays its slimy, grimy, disgusting, wicked, evil, dark side. It will rip through your life like a cyclone, leaving a trail of damage and destruction <clears throat> that can only be repaired by the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of us here today are in that storm. Storms come and they bring with them fear, anxiety, and pain. But know this, and this is, this is Fisher-Price level for all of us, there is no storm on earth that God cannot come. There is no problem so great that Jesus cannot fix. Bring your storm to him. Seek him for aid and help. So, with regards to the power of the storm, we realize it's got multiple aspects. There is this suddenness. They come out of nowhere. They hit our lives, and they shake us up, and we don't know how it started, and we don't really know when it's going to end. We continue to go through it. There is this suddenness of it, and then there is this severity of it that it rips through our life, damaging us in multiple ways. 
I want to talk about the source of this thing. This is pretty interesting. Where did this storm come from? With regards to the Sea of Galilee, when they hit it, where did this come from? It's natural. I mentioned the topography of the area, and basically it was pretty common that these things would hit the Sea of Galilee often. However, what is not common is they don't often hit at night. Why was it here? God might have sent it for the very purpose to teach them to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I didn't mention this, I think that I would be remissant. I think this is very interesting. This, <laughs> this thing could have been satanic in origin. I know, it's crazy. Listen, is it a stretch? Let's look at this deeper. When Jesus calmed the storm in verse 39, he said, be still. It is the same word that's translated, hold thy peace, from Mark 125. I don't believe I have a slide for that. It was the same word he used that's translated, hold thy peace, in Mark 125. The word means to be muzzled. It, it carries the idea of muzzling some violent or wild animal. Are you all with me still? This is, I know it's a stretch. When Jesus used that word, this is interesting, in Mark 125, he was using it to do what? He was commanding demons to be silent. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps this storm was an attempt by Satan to destroy the Lord Jesus. God's word does not reveal the source of the storm. Now, storms in our own life can come from various different sources as well, don't they? We can kind of create these things. Sometimes the storms are our are own fault. We do things that get us into trouble, and we have to pay the price. Romans 6.23 comes to mind. The wages of what is what? The wages of sin is death. And one of which I've been quoting for a long time, and I think, yeah, it is up there, that I've been quoting for a long time that I've seen in my life that all of us can relate to as well is Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but in the end thereof are the ways of death. Looks great. Sounds beautiful. Sounds wonderful. Sounds appealing. Seems like the right idea. Let's do this. And then comes death or the ways of death. So sometimes we can create these storms in our life, can't we? And if you want another verse to, to affirm this, we could take a look at Jonah. <laughs> we reap what we sow. There is no escaping that. You'll see that up on the side. Galatians 6, verses 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For what's Sometimes you and I create these things. Now, sometimes God sends the storm, right? That's the other source. That's the other option. Why would he do that? He does that sometimes to discipline us, to draw us closer to him. This was the case with David after he sent with Bathsheba, 2 Samuel eleven twelve. Sometimes he does it to teach us to trust him more deeply. This was the case with Job and all that he was asked to endure Job 2, verse 3. When God sends the storm, it is always to draw us closer to him, to develop us. He's not up there trying to squash us. It is always to draw us closer and to develop us, to the image more like his son. Sometimes Satan is allowed to send the storm. Satan will rip up a storm in your life and attempt to defeat you and drive you from the Lord. He will do everything in his power to destroy you and your faith in God. Now, we have a real enemy. Sometimes it's us. This flesh isn't easy to deal with. Other times it's the adversary, and he knows what buttons to push, and he's over hammering them. He will do everything in his power to destroy you. First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, and I think I have, it, I think I have that on the slide, your adversary, the as a roaring lion walking, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The adversary, folks, is a very lethal and dangerous enemy. Now, there's a recap slide, because I know this can be confusing. It's for the power of the storm. We realize there's this suddenness, there's this severity, and then this source where this comes from. It could be us, could be God, 
could be from the evil one. Let's look at the problem of the storm, and it has three aspects as well. We've looked at the power of the storm. Now let's look at the problem of the storm and what it can do to our hearts, our minds, and yes, possibly even our faith as we go through this. The greatest storm that night on the Sea of Galilee, it, it wasn't what they were dealing with. It wasn't the weather outside. It wasn't the waves that was filling up the boat. It was not what they were going through. The greatest storm that night was in the hearts of the disciples. The storm on the sea was minor compared to the storm of doubt within them that threatened to drown them all. Each and every time you and I lose it, we do. Let's be honest. Each and every time you and I get to that breaking point and we lose it, because it's because we are only seeing, and I'm raising my hand immediately, we are only seeing the storm surrounding us and not the God who's there protecting us, providing us. It is a matter of focus. Is it easy? No. But it is simple. It is a matter of focus. While the storm is raging around them, Jesus is fast asleep in the boat. That was amazing. They run to him and wake him up. The word awaken means to rouse from sleep. It was to speak of a calm sea that was just beginning to be agitated. The Bible might be hinting here that they ran over to him. And, and understand this is just an opinion. I have no idea. They, I, can, I can imagine and I can see this in my head that they're running over to the other side of the boat and shaking him to rouse him, to wake him up. He was asleep, comfortable. Take a look at verse 38 where you're going to see this. Carest thou not. They literally asked the Lord Jesus Christ, do you not care? that we're about to die right now? I mean, dude, do you not see this? Can you do something? This is amazing, but yet you and I would have done the very same thing. The disciples had just finished watching Jesus' compassion and goodness in action. They got to witness everything firsthand. These guys were with him roughly three years in total. They were there seeing him do these incredible, amazing, compassionate things. And then now they're in this boat and they're panicking. They witnessed Jesus defeat demons, defeat disease, and depravity just two chapters before this. However, here we see them immediately doubting his protection and provision. They accused the Lord of not caring about what they were going through and what they were currently facing. Now, they are faced with a storm, and they are afraid. They should have known that a single puff of wind could not thwart the power that they've seen in the Lord Jesus Christ at this time. But they doubted anyway. And I have to say this, um, because I think we get too hard on people like this. We, we do it periodically with the Israelites who wandered the desert for quite a long time. And, you know, they got to witness miracles and things like that, just like the disciples did when they watched it do all these things. I think we need to really kind of take it easy on them because perhaps we should consider our own hearts. Have there been times when these storms, and maybe you're walking through one right now, this is a very, very solemn, serious moment, have there been times when storms raging in your life that you have questioned God's concern for you? We've all been there, folks, right? We have. I want to tell you today that he does care. And he cares more about you and I than we could possibly imagine. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but within all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain, obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It is very clear that the disciples, as they went through this, they doubted in his goodness. Verse 38, part B says, We perish. They were questioning their survival at this juncture. They doubted his grace as well. It was Jesus who sent them onto the sea in the first place. Think about this, if, if you will. They're, 
they're only there because Christ gave them the instruction to, we're going to go over to the other side. So it means this. They're in the right place at the right time. And honestly, should we say the wrong place at the wrong time? I think that's fitting as well because of the storm. But they were in the right place at the right time as per instruction from the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, these guys panicked. How often do we see something happen in our lives and God does this amazing and unbelievable provision? It's just the next day or hours later, we're panicking and freaking out. Please raise your hand. Don't leave me alone in this. We've all done it, right? Thank you. <laughs> These men had left everything to follow Jesus. And now he has led them into an impossibly dangerous situation. Now we see them terrified. <clears throat> just Now we see them terrified. Jesus is just going to let them die. I want to camp here for a moment. And just, just a brief moment, because I'm home. I shouldn't look at the clock. If, if these men had... Can we pull that down off the wall? <laughs> if, if these men had a moment of panic and doubt, all while being at the right place at the right time from God's instruction, I attest to you, and I cannot stress this enough, how much more are we going to fall for this and do the very same thing? They were with him. They just saw him two chapters before do all this incredible stuff. And yet, dude, wake up. We're about to die. Can you take care of this? And we, oftentimes, we are filled with uncertainty and questions. Did God call me to do this or to be here, to say that, to give this to this person? Our minds are riddled with constant questions, aren't they? I know mine is. Jesus didn't die for you and save you to abandon you when they go and gets a little tough. He is absolutely committed to you and I, and he has told us he will never leave us or forsake us. If you don't remember anything that I say here now, please remember this. Listen closely to this because the hair on the back of my neck is raising up. He will never leave us or forsake us. Let's go to Joshua 1.5. This is amazing. Look at this. There shall not be any man, at, believe it's, yeah, thank you. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy, of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. This was mirrored later. I want to say part of that. I will not leave thee or forsake thee. This is from the Old Testament. It was directed to Joshua. However, and there is a big however, this is one of those promises that are aimed for all of God's children. This is not just strictly for Joshua, okay? Please understand that. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. The Hebrew word for fail. The Hebrew word for fail is arpaka. And it means to let sink. The Hebrew word for forsake is osave. And it means to leave loosen. Do you all see this? God has promised to never loosen his grip and never let us sink. Now I need to pause for dramatic pause here. And for, I think a pun is coming. We'll let that sink in. God has promised to never loosen his grip and never let us sink. Is that not incredible? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. When a storm is raging, when your boat is rocking and reeling, when the adverse winds are blowing, when the waves are crashing, he will not let you sink. He will hold you up and not loosen his grip and never, never desert you in any circumstances. The Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely and 100% committed to you and I. I can't figure out why, but he is. They doubted his guarantee. If we look at verse 35, we see them doubting his guarantee, what he said. Jesus had already told these, told these men it's going to happen. He told them before the journey started that they were headed to the other side of the lake. Right? We're going to go over to the other side. Let's go. 
If they had believed his words, they could have shouted to the face of the storm. (laughs) Now, we act in the same way. The Lord has already promised us that everything is going to be all right. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He has promised us that he will take care of us. If we could just learn to take him at his word, then we could face the storms of life with a little bit less fear. We would understand who controls the storms, and we could have peace, even while the winds blew and the waves crashed. Another recap slide. If you look up, uh, we're going to see the recap problem of the storm. We looked over the power of the storm. Now this is the problem of what it creates. It caused them to doubt his goodness, his grace, and his guarantee. Let's take a look at the purpose of the storm. Because we ask ourselves, okay, this thing is, is powerful. I don't know where it came from. And it's here. And now it's causing panic. It's causing fear. It's causing doubt and faith. Word, why is this thing even here? When they roused Jesus from sleep, he began to work. As he did, they made some amazing discoveries about the Lord. These discoveries are just as imperative to us today. They discovered something about his power. The storm that terrified these men posed no problem for the Lord Jesus. He rebuked the wind and spoke to the sea. When he did, the winds fell silent and the sea became as a sheet of glass. I used to surf many years ago, and I went out there in all kinds of weather, including a hurricane. Don't know why we do things when we're younger. I don't, but I've never seen the water still like that as a sheet of glass. I don't know about you. I've never seen it so smooth and just... So the fact that he had this ability, power to speak to it and cause it to happen is simply amazing. Just as easily as he had healed the sick and cast out devils, he was able to control the storm. The Lord we serve still has the same power today. Hebrews 13.8, I think there's a slide for that one too, um, tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we see him controlling these storms, he has the ability to control the storms today in our lives. Your storm is no problem for him. Jesus Christ can silence it with a word. If he so desires, he may, however, desire to allow the storm to rage. This is for our benefit when it happens. We don't see it, but it is. When he does this, he is well able to protect you in the midst of the storm. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego comes to mind. Daniel, Daniel 6, Daniel 3. Daniel 6, Daniel in the lion's den. God is able to protect us in the most dangerous of situations. We see them making discoveries about his promises. Mark 5.1, just a couple verses later, says something pretty neat. It's so subtle, but it's neat with regards to this. It says this, they passed over. Let us go over to the other side. We go through this story. Mark 5.1, the first verse says this, they passed over. They got there. They went through everything they went through, and they got there safely. They learned that he was as good as his word. He still is. Everything he has promised, he will do. Romans 4.21, there's no slide for that. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. We see them making discoveries about his presence. When the Lord is in your vessel, you and I have this an advantage. The Bible says in verse 36 that there were other little ships out there wasn't the only one. We don't know a whole lot about that. That's all it says, but there was a few more, probably other more followers, um, other people that wanted to be near him, wanted to experience what was going on, wanted to hear whatever it was he had to say, so they followed. I think that's a safe speculation. There were many boats on the sea that night, but only one of those boats, only one of those crafts contained the Lord of glory. And that boat, (laughs) that boat was the place to be. Having Jesus in your vessel makes all the difference. They were able to call on him because he was with them. They were able to see him move in power 
because he was with them. They were able to experience his peace because he was with them. Is he in your vessel today? Are you in the same vessel with Jesus? If not, how do you weather these storms in your life? They made discoveries about his purposes. The storm taught these men a lesson. They could have learned no other way. How many of us have gone through some sort of a devastating nightmare and we come out of it with this immense experience and you begin to think to yourself, that was insane. I understand now. And, And you begin to realize there was no other way to come to that understanding except moving forward through that. It would have been nice if they simply just believed him after seeing him do all these miracles he did in chapter 1 and 2. It would have been great if they could taken the things the Lord did for others and apply it to themselves. But they seemed... <coughs> Excuse me. They seemed unable to process that information and apply it to their own lives. So he did what? He sent them into the storm to teach them a lesson. A lesson about trust. Learning to trust him. We're going to go forward a couple of chapters just for this example because I think it's important. When you come to Mark 6, 48 through 51, what do we find? We find these same men in another storm. <laughs> There's one difference. Jesus wasn't with them. They were in this boat. They were in the midst of this storm again. Probably the same body of water. They are afraid. They are filled with doubt once. But here's the kicker. Jesus wasn't in the boat with them. And they are filled with doubts and fears. And what happens next? Jesus walks on the water, meets them in the middle of their storm, and comes and stills their storm. They are taught another valuable lesson. Even when you can't see him, he is watching over you. He is in full control of what you're walking through, whether you're in that boat with him and you see him or not. He is there. Sometimes he sends storms to educate us, to teach us, to trust his purpose, but not to hurt us, like I mentioned before, always to develop us. They made discoveries about his peace, while they are fretting and fearing, what is the Lord doing? What was he doing at this point? Does anybody remember? He was asleep. And he wasn't just asleep. This, is, this passage is incredible, and i got to calm down, but it, it's one of those that it's, he was asleep on a pillow. Why? Why was he on a pillow? There is a very deep theological answer to that, and it's this. It was comfortable. <laughs> it was comfortable. This verse speaks of the humanity because we understand the Lord Jesus Christ was what? 100% man and 100% God. This verse reflects that 100% man side of him. He was on this pillow. I think it's safe to say because it was comfortable. He was perfectly at rest in the Father's hands. My wife said this to me on the way here, and I thought it was cool. Um, Paul speaks of a peace that surpasses all understanding. Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ giving us the most perfect example of what that looks like in the most devastating of circumstances. They made discoveries about his person. When Jesus calmed the sea, they were amazed and said, what manner of man is this? They learned that that he is the one who is in control of every puff of wind and every angry, frightful wave and storm. Do you know him today? I don't know the nature of your storm from what I heard standing back there with regards to the prayer request. I don't know how bad it is. But I know what it feels like going through these things. It's hard. It's painful. It brings about doubts. It brings about fears. It brings about anxiety. I also know something even more important than that, and, and that is this. I know who can calm that storm. 
If it is a storm of suffering, He can ease your pain. If it is a storm of sorrow, He can comfort your soul. If it is a storm of sin, He can deliver you and set you free. The one thing that you and I long for in the midst of this is hearing these words, peace, be still. The Lord Jesus Christ has that innate ability to bring about peace and control in a, cad- in a chaotic, adverse world that we live in and in our lives. Do you need to hear Jesus say peace, be still this morning? If you do, bring it to him and watch him work. Others, we come before you this morning. We are grateful for your word. We are grateful <coughs> for the promises that it holds and the change that it brings about in our lives. We thank you that as we live in this daily, confusing, crazy, chaotic, dangerous life, that you've not left us alone. We thank you for your instructions. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you that as we are walking through possibly one of the most devastating things in our lives, that we are not alone. You are there, and you will bring about peace. Thank you for that. This morning, I thank you for the great honor to be here this morning to share what you placed on my heart. I'm grateful that if you can use me, you can do anything in anybody's life. And that does my heart good to know that you are in control of all of us. Thank you for that. Thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.